0: Oh, I almost forgot how to preach. Uh, lucky for you, I figured it out. <laughs> or lucky for me, one of the two. Apparently not lucky for you all, but yeah. Hey, I, um, before we dig into the text we're going to look at today, I want to update you on just a couple of the projects we've been working on. Um, yes, we planned all these projects in August and I went on vacation. Why wouldn't you do that too, Right. And so we have a few things that we've been working on around here. Um, A couple of them are pretty obvious, and some of them are not so obvious. Uh, One of the things that we've done that's going to be real clear is we have added to this room an LED wall. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it should be located somewhere above me and behind me here. All right, everybody see that? All right, and just so you know, that's operating at 20%, all right? So we we could have some fun. We could have some fun for sure. Um, so it's operating about 20%. And a lot of people have said, wow, that was a big thing to do. Yes, it was. And, uh, part of the reason that we went with this option, and this is where I just want to update you, some of you, right, is because, um, what we learned and what we realized is that technology goes obsolete. Did you know this? Now, technology goes obsolete everywhere in the world, but things that are done in the church are supposed to last. See, you know it, we all have the church mindset, right? Where we think that church, it's church, everything should always be the, wow, see, exactly. And so this is what happens, right? We start visiting with people who are technology experts, and by the way, they all want to sell you something, right? Right? But what we learn is that technology, especially technology in the church, lasts somewhere between five and seven years. Yippee! All right? And so this is the reality. We thought, man, we don't want to do this every five to seven years. Technology is not cheap. Technology is expensive. We want to invest money in lots of other places. So so this is what happened. Literally, we ran new wire, all right? When I say we, I'm talking about all the other people who were here while I was on vacation, all right? So underneath these floors, there's a bunch of conduit, and they had to run new lines for sound stuff and new lines for projector stuff and and all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, We have a new soundboard, and so the guys are going to be spending the next few weeks dialing everything in and getting things like compressors, and I don't know the language, all right? That's sound guy stuff. Thank God for people who enjoy like sound engineering stuff, all right? Seriously, they are unsung heroes for sure. And so uh, we did all this work in here, and then we had to figure out how to hang this thing, all right? And so we've got an engineer in our church. His name is Ray Dewey. Ray Dewey worked for the Corps of Engineers for a year. He built dams and stuff, so we figured he could figure out how to hang this, all right? This is what I know for sure. Ray loves you so much, this is not going anywhere, right? If the big one hits, everything else will crumble, and that screen will still be standing, I am pretty sure of it. All right, so if you know Ray, be sure to tell Ray thanks for your work that way, okay? And then on top of that, there were dozens of people who came in here at work. They had to cut through metal. They had to do all sorts of crazy stuff. If you are a part of the project that happened in our audio visual lighting stuff, would you just raise your hand where you're at and let us show you our appreciation? And so the big question is, why the big screen? Well, the reality is, when we tried to replace what needed to be replaced in these, we find out that that technology doesn't exist anymore. Well, that's problematic. So the recommendation was, bring the projectors, because up in those rooms are the projectors, so they're they're called rear-facing projectors, all right? So there's two little closets you get to crawl into to go in there to check the projectors. And so come to find out rear facing projectors, it's not a technology that's done anymore. And so we needed to come out in the house and add two new projectors. Well, they look at the price tag of the two new projectors that has to go through the house light so it can project a bright image. You know, you rolling with me so far. And they tell us, well, it's only going to last five to seven years. And a lot of this. So then we thought, all right, what would it look like to go to one projector that would be mounted here on the back wall? And it's literally about four feet by two feet. It's a huge projector because it has to have this great big lens so it can shoot all the way across the room, right? And, and accomplish this stuff. You don't want to know how much that cost. <laughs> all right. So we went, <clears throat> and how long does that last? Guess. Yes. And so we went, no, we don't want to do that. What are our other options? And so they gave us this LED wall option, and they gave us the price tag, which was comparable to the price of the projector system that we would need. And uh, we said, how long will that last? They said 12 to 15 years sold. Here's why. Some of you will never have to see us change this again. I'm just being real. I love you all. And I'm just telling you, this is the last big projector change you'll ever see in our church, okay? Others of you, it's your problem next. (laughs) Right? Everybody rolling with me? All right, good. So that's kind of what's happening here. Here's one of the cool things that God did. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on a guy that's actually in the room here. Um, this is what happened. About five years ago, we spent a bunch of money to buy new microphones because the FCA or the FCC or whoever they are, the F-something-CC, you know, they changed all of these um, frequencies, So the old microphone system was now obsolete, actually illegal, because you're not supposed to have these frequencies, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we invest in this new microphone and we buy the best microphones, the best system for the best price so that we can have the best, right? Only to come find out it's the wrong system for our building with the wrong price and the wrong time and blah, 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 blah. There's a guy in the room here, and I'm serious when I say this, he kind of stuck his neck out for our church. He went all the way to the top of the company that's actually in Germany. He didn't like fly there, but he definitely got involved in conversations with them. And one of the cool things that God does when we're faithful, he just, God shows up. Um, He got all the way to the top of the company and between them and the people we were working with our sound, they've replaced our microphone system at no cost to us. And a lot of this project was kind of spearheaded and led by Mike Martin here. And so I'm going to embarrass him. He's going to turn 40 shades of red. But that's Mike, right? Wave at us, Mike. There you go. So anyway, that's just kind of a real quick like summary. There's a lot more detail there, but there's a real quick summary of just sort of what has been happening that way. Now, when you walked in this morning, um, the last couple of weeks, you've noticed something different in the flooring in the foyer area. Anybody notice that? All right. And so here's what happened. We started pricing carpet, and we went... Did you hear that? That's exactly what we did, right? And uh, so then we looked at some other options and, and come to find out for about a third of the price of carpet, we were able to uh, polish our concrete floors and do it in all of our hallways, right? And so that's what we've done. That work is now pretty much done. We have some baseboard stuff and things like that to work on. And then we're going to phase two. What is phase two? Well, phase two is working with a designer to do redo some things out in the foyer. So... There are some carpeting spots that we're going to have. There are uh, some new paint colors that are going to come. There are some lighting things that we have to deal with. And so we're going to begin dealing with that all in the next few months. Now, why are we waiting for the next few months? Well, that's because we found out that contractors and stuff are a lot cheaper in the winter than they are in the summer. So we literally want to leverage every dollar and we're like, all right, put us on the bottom of that, you know, like September, October list so we can begin doing some of that work. And so I just want you to know, this isn't finished, but we've got a lot of work to do. And so I'm just asking everybody, be super patient as we are in construction, right? I mean, Arby's has been redoing Arby's for like six months. And so I think you can deal with church for a few weeks. All right. You everybody rolling with me there? Good. Um, a couple other things I want to tell you about. We have also worked hard to enhance some of our uh, security cameras. Our security processes, our safety team is kind of relaunching and we're going to be doing some trainings in the next few weeks. Uh, Believe it or not, we are very concerned about the safety and security of the people in our church, right? When we have over 500 adults and 150 some kids that come through our building every Sunday morning, we have to be very intentional. And so I don't know if you know this or not. Um, If you do, great. If you don't, then you now know. But we have a Uh, officer of some sort who is on duty at all times during our Sunday morning who are kind of the go-to people. They provide our top level of our security and then it dwindles down to uh, uh, hall monitors and some of our ushers and greeters or point people just to create a very safe environment, right? I laugh often that I'm nervous because I know some people come to churches, right, and they have their carry permit and they've got things in their pocket, right? And I'm like, if we ever have an active threat, this is what scares me. The person's probably going to come to the door, engage with me, and and I'm going to have all of you pointing at me, (laughs) right? And so literally, it's sad that we live in a day and time where we have to be worried about this, but we have to worry about this. And so, so my hope is, right, because any churches that have big things that happen, they're always like, we never thought this would happen, our approach is it could happen. Let's be ready for it so that maybe it won't happen. Does that make sense? And so if you're thinking and thinking, hey, let's test that, let's not test it. Let's just let's just keep it in place. Let's keep it going. But I want you to know that that's a serious thing for us. And we're working hard to make sure that all of our safety team and our safety policies and our security cameras and all of that are in place and working. Sound good? Awesome. Well, there's that. Yo. oh, sorry, Todd, I forgot twice now. Twice. The other thing is, this is really important to Todd because this is like, he is, this is his ministry. Man, Todd, I threw you under the bus twice. He's like, you're not even getting what I'm saying. All right. One of the things that was really important to us with the audio visual stuff was helping enhance just our video and our video recording and those type of things. Woo. Yeah, that, right. Now you won't see that very often because that's scary, right? You see that one long hair that's right there. Anyway, um, wow. But it does, you know, I look good. So the cameras are fixed and uh, that's a really super good thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but let's applause for Todd in a moment. (laughs) Because one of the things that Todd makes sure that happens is we have a lot of people who can't get here and they are online right now. Hi, online people right? And they're watching uh, the live feed and that's part of his ministry to produce a very good quality experience that way as much as we can uh, as possible. So now clap for Todd. There you go. All right, let's dig in, right? We are going to start a series today called We Are the Church. And uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks just looking at some different concepts and ideas about we are the church. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16 this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen for you. What's going on, let me catch you up here, is, is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're actually throwing out even some of their own uh, obligations, some of their own expectations, some of their own rules, because what they want to do is they want to try to find a way to trap Jesus, To make Jesus, you know, this, this issue for him. They want to find something, some area where they can trick him and maybe accuse him of doing some wrong things. And so then what happens is Jesus takes his disciples and he kind of gets out of town, literally. Look at verse 13 of Matthew 16 with me. This is what it says. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And how many of you have heard this passage before? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's a common passage, right? And what I find most interesting is that literally Jesus gets out of town. He took him up into Gentile territory into a city called Caesarea Philippi. And you can see it up there, right? Jerusalem's down here in the green, circled up, up in the very top, right on the... That orangish salmon color and the yellowish color is Caesarea Philippi, somewhere between 105 and 120 miles away from Jerusalem. So, this is a distance. This isn't just a day's walk, this is a few days' walk. Jesus takes his disciples, he gets them out of town, and he gets them into a region. And this is why this question is so interesting Who do people say that I am? Well, he took them up into a region where there are a lot of different religions, various religions. For example, it has been the center of Baal worship. Worship for a long time, there was a Greek god called Pan who had shrines there, and Herod the Great had built a great big temple for Augustus Caesar. And it was in the midst of all of this that Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? And then the disciples said, Well, people think that you might be John the Baptist, some people think you might be Elijah, some people even think you might be Jeremiah. There's all sorts of different people that Jesus could have been, because part of the belief is maybe some of these great prophets would come again in another form, in another body, right? And so here's Jesus. He's asking this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And it's almost, when you first read it, it's almost as if ah, Jesus was either mad or a little arrogant saying, hey, tell me about me, right? "Tell, Tell me about me. Tell me a little bit about me. But that's not what he's doing at all. Instead, right here, we get the basis of what every Christian should do. Honest. And so all of a sudden, this is what I, he, he says, all right, that's who people say I am. Now, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers. He says, he says, what? You are the Christ. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed King. You are him. You are him. On September 5th, 1993, so in a few days, a few years back, I was 13 years old, and uh, at our church, we would stand up and sing, Just As You Are, or something like that, all right, all 80 verses of it, and we would come down, right, and and we'd come forward, and Leon, my senior minister, stood right there, and he shook my hand, and he said, welcome, I mean, he, I shook, I shook, Shaked his hand tons of times, but this was, this was serious, right? This was a formal moment where I marched forward. I, I shook Leon's hand and Leon said, who do you say Jesus is? He didn't quite ask it like that, but the way he asked it is he said, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God? And I said, yes. And immediately I went back to the back, back right, and uh, we have a back here, and it's a baptistry, but it's like a big bathtub. All right, ours is the one that I got baptized in. Man, it was like a pool. Okay. It was concrete and you came down out of the waters and you are into the waters and Leon would be there. He had his, uh, the fishing waders all the way up to here. Right. And then this nice little white robe over the top. So you didn't know he was wearing fishing. Everybody just thought he was a miracle man, right? He just got wet in the pool, but he comes out and shakes everybody's hand and he's perfectly dry. And you're thinking, how All the kids at least thought that the adults knew. And so I I got baptized. And he said, on your confession, is what he said. On your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what I know. This is what I love about this text is that that a, a true decision about Jesus, it can't be done by taking a poll. Right? That's what the first question is. Who do people say that I am? Well, we can say, hey... Who is Jesus? And you know what? Even in this room with people who probably claim to be Christians, we'd probably get 50 different opinions about who Jesus really was. And I'm guaranteeing you this, if we go outside of the doors and we go over to Gresham Station and stand in front of Old Navy and we ask people who Jesus is, you're going to get a lot of opinions. And we live in a culture where we like polls. We like to run polls all the time. Do you like what this person's doing? Do you not like this person's doing? Do you think this is good? Do you think this is bad? Do you think um, pancakes or eggs for breakfast? I mean, we start asking dozens of questions to try to determine our own opinions. And what I know is that a true decision about Jesus can't be made by taking a poll. The important thing is not what others say about Jesus. That's not what's important what's important is what do I say about Jesus? Who do I say Jesus is? The decision of a crowd can never substitute a personal decision for Jesus. And so every one of us at some point in our life, we need to make that decision and determine who is Jesus and then to to voice it and, and, and clarify it. We do this at our Rooted celebration every year. This is one of the reasons we do Rooted. Because it gives people an opportunity to say, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the anointed King, the Messiah. I believe he, he died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And I believe that he's sitting at the right hand of God today. And it's important to know that there are a lot of other confessions. People made other confessions about Jesus. I mean, you think Nathaniel and the disciples and Andrew and even Peter. But what's interesting about this moment is Jesus asked for it. And then Jesus, he accepted it. He accepted this confession. And upon that confession, what did Jesus say? You're right, Peter. And upon this rock, I am going to build my church Peter, I'm going to hand you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Right? This is what happens. They're far north of Jerusalem. They're out of town. This was a conversation so that nobody else could influence their decision. They decide that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and Jesus declares his church. And so there's some key concepts here. I want to make sure that we understand. And the first key concept is what is the rock? right? The rock. We're not talking about the actor. All right. We're talking about the rock. And there's some interesting words with Greek words that mean rock. The first one is this. It's Petros. And Petros is a Greek word that means a stone, right? And then you have Petra, right? Which is the Greek word, which means large rock. But then you have Peter's name. Peter's name in Aramaic is actually Cephas, and Cephas means a stone, right? And so when we read this, it's really important for us to understand what we're reading here, all right, First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, this is what Peter writes. He says this, As you come to me, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, right? You catch what I'm saying here? And so this is what Jesus tells Peter. Peter, upon this rock, a stone is going to build my church. Everybody rolling with me there so far, right? Upon this rock, right? And and Jesus is all about the rock, right? In, in, In the Sermon on the Mount, he's already talked about a wise man builds his house on the rock, Right? A foolish man builds his house upon sand. Right? The storm comes and the storms beat, winds beat up again. You guys with me there, right? So Jesus he's going to build his rock by using a stone. By using a rock. And and, and this is so important because Jesus isn't going to build an actual city. He's not going to build another temple. In the promise to Peter, Jesus is going to build a community of people consisting of people who give allegiance to Jesus. Jesus, who is God's anointed king, the Messiah. And those who agree with Peter that Jesus is really God's son, the promise is God is going to use us, living stones, Living stones to build his church upon the rock so that when the storms come and the wind blows, nothing can take it down. When all evidence is examined, the teaching of Scripture is the church is built on Jesus and that Jesus is going to build his church. Everybody hear that? It's really important because, how how many of you have a Catholic background? I'm just curious, and it's okay, we we let you come in here, all right? Let's see, (laughs) raise your hand, seriously. Yeah, and so in the Catholic Church, this text is often taken to mean that Peter would be the first Pope, right? But really what's being said here is that those who believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, would become the stones that God would use to build His church upon the rock. All right, so then you have this next tricky word, right? Another key concept. The word is church. In the Greek, it's ekklesia. All right? That's just a fun word to say. Well, what does ecclesia mean? It's a called-out assembly. It's a called-out congregation. It's a called-out group of people. And so there are lots of ecclesias, right? But in this moment, we see that Jesus had something different in mind than anything before and anything that would follow, right? This is the universal assembly built with people who believe what Peter believed, And Jesus spoke about his church in a new and a different kind of way. And in his church, Jesus would be uniting believing Jews and believing Gentiles and people from the ends of the earth and form this new body, this new temple, but it would be called a body, right? And in his church, natural distinctions became very unimportant, uh, unrelevant, right? Jesus is the builder of his church, which means he was going to become the head of his church because he was going to build his church the way he wanted his church built right and then you have another key concept we'll keep going on here how about the gates of hell how many of you have ever heard that before right the gates of hell will not prevail against it what's really important to notice here this isn't defensive this is being on the offense all right that's that's what i believe because you have this word gates what does gates mean well it reveals power that's what it does it means power I mean, when you drive by some place, right, and it's a gated community, what's your first assumption? Money. They're rich and money and wealth goes to what? Power. Power. We immediately relate it to power, right? If you were a fortified city and you were trying to protect your city and you were able to build a big wall with a big gate, guess what that meant? That there was power. There was power. And so then you have the idea of Hades. What is Hades? Well, really, it's the the realm of the dead. And so what does this verse mean? In other words, the church is not overpowered by death. Neither the cross nor martyrdom can stifle the progress of the church. The resurrection of Jesus conquered death so that death would not be able to hold anybody back. So that the death would not hold anybody captive. And if you were held captive by death, then Jesus would storm the gates and deliver the captives. Isn't that a great concept to wrap our head around? Another key concept, keys of the kingdom. Well, you know what keys mean? I don't believe this, but keys show a sign of authority. I've got too many church keys, all right? I don't even know what some of these keys go to, if I'm honest with you. But I know this. I know this. I keep fruit snacks in my office for my youngest son, who then shares with everybody down in kids ministry. And almost every Sunday I'm over here and I have kids that come and ask me for my keys. Why? Not because I'm a sign of authority, but because I've got fruit snacks in my office. Right? (laughs) but do you understand this concept, right? Keys, keys of the kingdom is a badge of authority. It reveals authority. And so we use keys to do something. What do we use keys for? Open doors, right? You guys are like, man, I'm so glad I came to church to hear that pastor Tom learned what keys are all about. But seriously, keys are used to open doors. And so this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, Peter, listen, disciples, listen, living stones. I'm going to hand you the keys of the kingdom. And you're going to open doors. And for Peter in Acts chapter 2, he opened a door for the Jews to believe in Jesus. And in Acts chapter 8, he opened a door for the Samaritans to believe in Jesus. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter opened a door for the Gentiles to believe in Jesus. And the other disciples, they went into other places and they had keys to open up the kingdom of heaven. And we also are given these keys to open up doors. For people who have never heard about Jesus before, you have the keys. And I have the keys. There are people who work in our workplaces, who attend our schools. And you have the keys to open up the kingdom of heaven in their world. That's what this is about, right? Nowhere in the text. New Testament are we told that Peter or his successors had any special position or any special privilege in the church that they were living stones and God was using these living stones living living stones wow those living stones anyway living stones to build his church that's so beautiful and then you have this binding and losing thing right anybody have a problem saying loosed all right I do. I'm like, I can't say it. What does this binding and and loosing mean? Losing mean, right? Well, it's it's forbidding or permitting. What I love is the disciples, they shouldered the burden of evangelism and they shouldered the burden of persecution and establishing policy and writing doctrine, right? And this didn't mean God would obey what the disciples did on earth. Which sometimes I think we do. Sometimes I think, well, I'm, I'm this faithful Christian. God should do what I expect him to do now we would never say that but sometimes we live that way right we're just kind of like all right God I did this for you it's your turn to do something for me God I scratch your back you scratch mine right and we have this attitude sometimes which is not what this is saying right it means that we should do on earth what God has already desired in heaven that's what this means. It means that the church does not get man's will done in heaven. It means that we will obey God's will on earth. And so having declared his personal confession about who Jesus is, I love what happens next. And the reason I love what happens next is because it keeps me humble. And it should probably keep you humble too. Listen to it, right? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised. Man, this is so good for us to see because it's not just faith, but now we see the work of Jesus, right? This faith and works thing always goes together. And we see that Peter confesses, but then Jesus is going to declare his work what he's going to accomplish, what he's going to do to his disciples. And he says, listen, we got to go back to Jerusalem, all the way back down to Jerusalem. We're going to get down to Jerusalem. And guess what? I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put on trial. And ultimately I'm going to be, I'm going to be subject to death on the Roman cross, but I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And this is what Peter does. Look at this. Peter says, "Ah, Jesus, come over here. We need to talk for a second. I mean, he did just confess. I mean, he was just given the keys of the kingdom, right? And so he comes over to Jesus. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. (laughs) Can you picture this in your head for a second, right? Jesus has just handed him the keys of the kingdom and said, I'm going to use you. And so Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. And so Jesus says, now listen, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put on trial and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be rejected and I'm ultimately going to be subject to death on the cross, but don't worry because I'll be alive again three days later. And Peter goes, huh, huh, uh Jesus come over here right now. Could you picture this? Sit down. I don't know what that nonsense was. But this is not how things are going to go. Sometimes we take that posture with Jesus, don't we? Suffering? (laughs) Jesus, come here. Sit down. You think that's really a good idea? What are you thinking? And this is what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Man, do you see what just happened? Do you see how it just turned on his whole world upside down craziness? Right? If we, in literally one moment, one moment, Peter, Peter is the stone who had just been blessed. And Peter goes from the stone being blessed to Peter, the stumbling block, who is not being blessed. I mean, do you see that? And the reality is this. It's a warning for all of us who want to serve and lead in the church, especially those of us who choose to lead vocationally in the church, that the one whom some of the greatest promises and some of the greatest commissions were made is the one who also earned the sharpest rebuke. James actually told his readers, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Wow, we see it with Peter, right? Well, what happened with Peter? What went wrong with him? Why did he have this blunder? Why did he have this moment? And Jesus even tells him, your mind is a human mind. And the only way you're going to understand this is if you put in a God mind. You got to think like God, Peter. And you're thinking like Peter. You just confessed who I am. Now start thinking like God. Don't think like you. You is going to get you in trouble. How many of you have ever had your mind get you in trouble? And if we would replace our mind with God thinking, maybe we could have avoided some of that trouble. Amen? Yeah, it's true. It's true. And so this is crazy to me how he goes from one moment being blessed to the next moment being cursed. But listen to what he says next. Then Jesus gathered all of his disciples. and He said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Today, the cross, the cross is this beautiful symbol of love and sacrifice man in the day of Jesus you wouldn't even heard the romans who it was their tool of execution you would not have even heard the romans talking about it in public it was dark it, it was horrific the cross was brutal and ugly and painful and not to be talked about cross today has become this beautiful symbol of love and sacrifice but this is what Jesus is saying to us he's saying to his disciples to all of us who want to confess like Peter confessed he's saying this there are two approaches to life when there are two approaches to life how many approaches are there two but see, sometimes we put on the human mind, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, well, can't I have a little of this and a little of that and make kind of my own thirdish one? <laughs> Anybody else do that? Right? Yeah, we do. And so this is what I want you to hear. There are two approaches to life that Jesus gives us in this text. And the first approach is this, deny yourself take up your cross follow jesus lose your life for his sake forsake the world keep your sh- sh- keep your soul and share his reward but the other approach to life is live for yourself ignore the cross Follow the world. Save your life for your own sake. Gain the world. Lose your soul and lose your reward. Did you hear this? There are two approaches to life. Here they are again. Deny yourself or live for yourself. Two approaches. Take up your cross or ignore the cross. Follow Jesus or follow the world. Lose your life for His sake or save your life for your sake. Forsake the world or gain the world. Keep your soul or lose your soul. Share His reward or lose His reward. What I love about Jesus is He makes one really, really, really desirable. And yet it's really hard. And he makes one that seems really easy, but has zero benefit. There are two approaches to life. And when it comes to us in the discussion of discipleship and being the church, we get to decide which approach to life are we going to take. Have you ever heard of Lewis Carroll? He's the author who wrote Alice in Wonderland that Walt Disney took and made famous, right? This was his first, his very first career animation. Well, Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland, but he also wrote a sequel to the book. And the sequel to the book is called Alice Through the Looking Glass. It's a little weird. Like, like I don't know what kind of medicinal medicines Lewis may have been on, but it's a little weird. When he wrote... Alice Through the Looking Glass, but the sequel is very different from Alice in Wonderland. Carol and his readers would need to learn how to think inside out. They need to learn how to think inside out. and the sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass is talking about a mirror. And so Carol created this mirror image of the world. And so you couldn't get it anywhere by walking toward it, right? If you walk toward it, eventually you would hit glass a mirror. And so if you really wanted to get somewhere in the world, you had to think inside out and you had to kind of do the opposite to get where you wanted to go because it was a reflection. Everybody tracking with me there, right? And so the the natural thing would be to walk toward it, but then you would find yourself only getting further and further away from where you actually wanted to go. And so to get where you want to go, you would need to literally go in the opposite direction of what you Thought. And so could you imagine for a moment living our daily lives in the reflection of a mirror? Like, whew. like some of you would like get up in the morning and go to the restroom and be like, I need to take a nap. That was hard work. Right. And so Jesus, Jesus is asking his disciples to think and to learn and to live kind of in an inside out kind of way. And this is why Peter, his his response to Jesus is so aggressive. His plan for the world is so wrong in Peter's mind, right? Peter just told Jesus that he believed he was the anointed king. He was the chosen Messiah. And the natural next move would be that the disciples would sit down with Jesus and they would actually plan their strategy and they would put some things together in place and plans because if Jesus is king and if his people are going to be building this church on the rock, then they. Must go back to Jerusalem, and they would need to rid Jerusalem of all the other kings and all the other priests who are ruling. And so the obvious plan would be to march to Jerusalem, literally to pick up supporters along the way for this new way to choose a battle plan, right? Maybe say a few prayers and then then perform a a surprise fight battle right there in the temple to take over the temple, ordain Jesus as the new king. And this is how God's kingdom would finally come. And this is how the son of man would be exalted in his kingdom. And yet, Jesus had something very different, entirely different in his mind. Jesus' thoughts were kind of like a through the looking glass kind of version. Yes, they would go to Jerusalem. And yes, the kingdom of God was coming very soon. And yes, the Son of Man would be exalted as King, dispensing full justice literally to everybody known in the world. And the way of the kingdom is the exact opposite road than the one that the disciples, especially Peter, had in mind. Because this road would involve suffering and death and Jesus would confront the rulers and the authorities and the priests and the legal experts and the kings in Jerusalem. But they, not Jesus, would appear to win. They would seem to have the final word and not Jesus. And to the disciples, Jesus, he was talking nonsense and Jesus was insisting that God thinks different than the way us humans think. And that God wants us to think in an inside-out, round-away, kind of different way of thinking, a right-way-around way of thinking. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We are called to live this inside-out kind of living life. It's different than what the world says. It's different than what our mind says. It's the heart of God. To be clear, Jesus calls his followers. Jesus calls his followers. And it is a call that has been ringing out for centuries. It is a call that continues to be rung out. It's almost as if a bell was ringing. Can you imagine a bell ringing? Somebody walking down your street ringing a bell, right? Can you imagine calling us from whatever we are doing? Can you imagine the bell echoing the streets of your neighborhood? The same things that Jesus has always said. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Imagine the sound resonating and echoing through grocery stores and business offices and schools and classrooms and hospitals and homes and apartments. You can almost hear the bell ringing. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Imagine people coming out to their front doors just to see where the noise is coming from and listen to this great bell singing Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. And ahead of them saying this. Ringing this great bell. Walking ahead. Is Jesus. A compelling and mysterious figure. Saying pick up your cross. And follow me. And following Jesus will cost everything and give everything. There is no halfway on this road. To those of us who follow Jesus today, we have to learn how to think and live inside out in looking glass kind of fashion, in a right round kind of way. What the world counts as foolishness and what the world counts as folly is true wisdom to God. And if we cling to our life, we will lose our life. And if we will give everything we've got to following Jesus, we will gain our life. And here's the reality. There are people in every generation who have prepared to take Jesus seriously. What would it be like if you and I were one of them?